0: So the title is the suspense is killing me. Some of you will remember that statement, won't you? And I want you to start thinking as I share embarrassing stories right now. So one of the times in the army you have to go before a promotion before board before you make the next rank after so long. All right? And what you do is is you get you put your greens on or you'll put your blues on. And you have to go before an oral board. So you have to march in there. You have to do movements and this and about face, right face, left face. And then they say, take a seat. And you sit down. And my paint legs were like this, just shaking. I was so nervous the first time. But you go through that. And then there's that suspense of, well, are they going to recommend me or not? And you have to wait for quite a while till they decide that. And the higher up in rank that you get as a non commissioned officer, it ends up going through the whole army and you wait, and you look for the Army Times, and you're like, is my name in there? Is my name in there? And then once you do make that list, the suspense comes each month. Did my number come up? Did my number come up? Did my number come up? Am I going to get promoted? Uh, All of us will remember, wait till your dad gets home, right? Parents, you use that one, and the kids, that is like torture. The kids are like, having anxiety attacks, waiting for dad to get home. And there's nothing like blessing dad. Hey, first thing in the door, you get to discipline the kids, you know. But the suspense of waiting for that punishment. You know, last year in the hospital, the suspense was, are they going to figure out what's wrong with me before I kick the bucket? Um, but for those of you that are, that are parents, the suspense of when is the baby going to come? And the joy that comes when the baby is delivered, in pregnancy. Uh, for those of us that are quite a bit wiser, you, you know, uh, Perry Mason, who did it? You know, for those of you that are more younger, it's, it's BBC crime TV, right? Trying to figure out the suspense of who did it. And so you, you might be thinking of things, whether it's promotion or discipline, or the anxiety of did I get fired? Or whatever it might be, is that we all can identify with this air of suspense. And what suspense means is to look forward to either being eager or anxious for some result that's unknown. And so, as we uh, open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 10, you might have been through this several times before. But what I, what I want you to have a picture of in your mind right now is, you, you ever see those things, you know, especially on Facebook now, it used to come out magazines, okay, stare at this picture for one minute. Okay, look at a white wall, right? And it's like, a, it's like a landscape scene, or a lot of them are the picture of Jesus or whatever. Has anybody ever done that? You know, the staring at picture? So what I want to do tonight is I want us to stare at this passage... Okay, and, and to, to look past what is obviously there. And we'll still go through verse by verse, but I want you to be able to massage your brain on things. And don't worry, I'm not going to do anything weird, maybe. So, let's read the chapter. John says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little, op- little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, come before you in approaching the revelation of Jesus Christ in this chapter, uh, that you would give us understanding that your Holy Spirit would be the one that teaches us all things, that leads us into truth with this um, and though these pictures are grandiose and they're uh, even difficult to understand at times, is that there might be truths or themes that you want us to understand. And so we just ask for that wisdom from above. Just ask there would be no hindrances tonight to the truth of your gospel, who is Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name, amen. So just to paraphrase what John is saying, he says, I saw another mighty angel, you know, whether you're imagining Arnold Schwarzenegger or a sumo wrestler who puts his foot on the land His foot on the sea, and he's he's clothed with the cloud. He's got a rainbow around his head. His face is shining. His legs look like pillars of fire, whatever that looks like. All right. He's got a a a little scroll. It's actually scroll, not book. Okay. Um, Don't make me say the Greek word because it's this long, and but it is a little scroll compared to a normal sized scroll, and he has that in his hand. And then he, he lifts his hand up to heaven and, and he's going to speak. And simulta- right after he speaks, the seven thunders, which is one of those suspense questions. Who are the seven thunders? It's not a hockey team. All right. As um, he says that, and then a, a voice from heaven tells John, don't write that stuff down. Okay. Nobody's going to know what it says. And then he swears by... God, the creator. And you notice he covers everything. He covers heaven. He covers earth. He covers the sea. Anything that has a living being, whether spiritual or physical, that God is the creator of. And that's what he swears by. Okay? And then he also declares what? Time's up. There's not going to be delay any longer. And then he says the mystery is going to be revealed, which we'll look at. And then the voice also tells him, hey, John, and this is Dan's paraphrase, okay? Hey, John, go get the book and eat it. Go get the scroll and eat it. Yo, angel, give me the scroll. No, he doesn't say yo, angel, but give me the scroll. And he says, here, take it. You need to eat it. It's sweet going down, but it's going to make your stomach turn upside down. And he says, because you have to go prophesy to all these nations, peoples, tribes, and kings. All right, new record. We're done tonight. Let's pray. There's a lot of suspense that's built up into this. And yes, I have a lot of S's tonight, so hopefully I don't get tongue twisted. And we are going to cover all the details in it. And the first one is the suspense, suspense and sanctification. You see, the angel is the first suspense. Who is this angel? And a lot of commentators say, well, it's Christ because he's similar to the descriptions in in Revelation chapter 1. All right? And then he's the one that's holding the scroll also, because you remember from chapter five, who's the only one that could take the scroll out of the Father's hand to open it? The Lamb said so the Lamb was the one, meaning Jesus Christ. But maybe it's not Jesus. Because there's key words in there. One is it says "Another." Now, when it says another, it's comparing it to a previous mighty angel. So, in chapter 5, it says a strong angel. So, strong and mighty are the exact same word. The word another is alon in Greek, which means an identical type of something that already exists. Okay, so whether or not they're twins, who knows? It could be the same angel. Because John doesn't put a lot of emphasis on the names of the angels, does he? Because the whole book is about What? Revelation of Jesus Christ, the uncovering of Jesus Christ. Now, if this is Jesus Christ, then we've just covered him back up because it says an angel. So that's another reason why it's not Jesus Christ. Now, when we look through this description, how does it describe him? The similarities with chapter 1, some of it is there, but some of it is throughout the entirety of Scripture. Scripture. When angels appeared, a lot of times it says their faces shone as they shined, as if there was something about them. But you also remember Moses, right? Moses goes up, Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments, comes down second time. First time they screwed up and he broke tablets because they were in idolatry. Comes down a second time and the people of Israel, children of Israel, tell them to do what? Yo, bro, we can't, we can't take it. You need to put a veil over your face. The holiness of God was upon him. And they could not stand to look at that residue whenever Moses came down. Now, there's, there's another famous person, which we don't remember as much, but it's Stephen. And when Stephen was preaching his message in Acts chapter 6, and towards the end of it, and he's going to be oppressed, is that he says his face shone like an angel. So when we, we see this, there's a rainbow on his head, his face is shining, their legs are like pillar. Well, in, in Hebrews chapter one, I think it's verse seven, and then it's Psalm 104.4, it says, uh, when it talks about God talking about his angels, it says he makes them a mini- ministers of flame. So fire is tied to angels as well. It's similar also to Daniel's vision. Daniel 12, verse seven, it says, then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered. All these things shall be finished. Now, the audience would know the similarities of what John is writing about and that angel swearing and the same vision that Daniel has about the angel swearing there or the man swearing there. So this, this confusion doesn't necessarily need to be there when you exhaustively look through what Scripture is, okay? And then also is that through the book of Revelation, there's not a confusion of, is this Jesus? Is this an angel? Is this Jesus? Is this an angel? Right off the bat, Jesus is identified in chapter 1, isn't he? Very clearly, all right? And then, he, then in chapter 5, he's the lamb, and you'll see the lamb several times through Revelation. When you get to chapter 19 and he's riding on the horse and the second coming, it says, he who is faithful and true. And it talks clearly. So Revelation of Jesus Christ is about the uncovering of Jesus Christ, not the hiding of Jesus Christ. Now you're saying, Dan, what does this angel motif have to do with us? Well, there's two things. This, the I forgot my word. Suspense. The suspense of sanctification is seen in two ways in this angel. One is the reason why he looks the way that he looks is not purely just because of how he was created in the physical aspects, but all those things, the rainbow, his face, those things is because he's been in the presence of God. And that is something that we should not skip over. When we read about Moses... His face shone because he was been in the presence of God. When we read about Stephen and you read about Stephen and him being martyred, it said the heavens were opened and he saw the throne of God. It's because he was in the presence of God. Now, with sanctification, before we go too far, you know, it is one of those $5 words. So, Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, they quote New Hampshire Baptist Confession from 1833, and it's a pretty good definition. It says we believe that sanctification is the process by which according to the will of God we are made partakers of his holiness that it is a progressive work that it is begun in regeneration and that it is carried on in the hearts of believers by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit the sealer and comforter in the continual use of the appointed means especially the word of God Self-examination, self-denial, watchfulness, and prayer. Being in the presence of God is not something just for angels. We are limited by this physical body, but it talks about us being sanctified, and and the, the biblical definition of sanctification is pretty wrapped up in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So a simple definition of sanctification is what God decides to take place in your life to be conformed and transformed into the image of Christ. That's the simplicity of it. But being in the presence of God through word, through prayer, through spiritual disciplines are things that change us internally. Spending time with God Is something that will cause your face to shine in a spiritual sense. But there's a second aspect of this sanctification is if you notice the angel has a specific purpose, doesn't he? He is coming with that little scroll and he's making a declaration and he's swearing by God for this to happen. Is that the the purpose of God in your life is part of the sanctification process. You have to ask this question. If Moses didn't go up the mountain to the Ten Commandments in disobedience to God, would his face have shown? No. His whole purpose was to deliver the law, to deliver the word to the children of Israel. Stephen, when he did, what was he doing? He ended up preaching the gospel. When they preached the gospel, they, they started from Abraham. And they talked about the seed all the way through in the history of Israel to show that Jesus was the Messiah, the prophet that Moses testified of. So the purpose of God in our lives is also what shapes us. In Acts 6.15 is the one that talks about Stephen. It says, and all who sat in the council, and this is the, the uh, Jewish council who are gonna end up trying him and then who Paul or, or Saul is gonna hold their coats while they stone him says, so they looked steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. What's even more significant is that right after this, it says, they could not give an answer to the word that Stephen was given to them. They could not surpass his wisdom and understanding of Scripture that he was preaching to them. But it also includes you and in the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 2 through 6 says, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Just so you know, I'm not taking offering because I need a jet. Sorry. Not really. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Now listen, for it is the God God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. So he references creation, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When it comes to sanctification in your life, God shines in your heart to tell others about that light, which is Jesus Christ. So the the two aspects of sanctification that we can see in the angel are not only his appearance of being in the presence of God and similarly with us spending time with God, but his purpose of delivering a message. And the same thing for us is the things that we go through this life are for your sanctification, your holiness, your transformation, into the image of Christ. Now, here's a picture. As you can imagine a sculptor, right? And they have this big, big block of stone. And if we look at it, and you're like, that's a big hunk of marble. But that sculptor, what does he do? He looks at that rock and he sees what that figure is gonna be. And he takes that, that heavy hammer and he takes that big chisel And he starts whacking it. And you'll have a big slab that comes off. And then you'll have another big slab and you'll have another big slab. And you're like, okay, it looks like a smaller chunk of marble. But then he changes hammers and he changes chisels and he continues this process. And he continues it and he continues it until it's something of awesome beauty, doesn't he? Now, some of us have some big chunks that need knocked off, don't they? Don't we? Some of us are hard. Like me, I had hit a car 55 miles an hour while I'm on my bicycle before it worked. And some of you have stories as well. But even the things that we go through in this life, you know, our deliberate time that we spend with the Lord of reshaping our heart, the things that we encounter in this life of, of chiseling off Those edges that are our flesh, particularly, that are not in the image of Christ, we have two questions that we ask in suspense that we won't get an answer in this life. So, what does it have to do with you? Have you ever had these questions? Lord, when am I going to stop sinning? Lord, when am I going to stop this sin? And he gives us answers for that. But that is, that's a suspense question. Why we're tied in this flesh that we still have? A few things. And you'll remember some of these references. Revelation 12, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Revelation, I mean Romans 12, sorry. Romans 8 or Romans 7, present your instruments as instruments of righteousness. Your responsibility and then the spiritual disciplines that we see through Scripture be transformed by those things. Do you, do you understand from uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 5, I believe, the word of God is living. Okay, this, this is, might be black letters on white pages in a cool Bible case, but it's, uh, it's alive. Do you understand it? This, this is the breath of God that's been put in English in your hands for you. God didn't write an autobiography, so he reaches New York Times bestseller list. He didn't write this for fictional entertainment. He wrote this to change your heart and to change your mind to reveal the truth of how much he loves you, of what the cost was through Jesus Christ and of being with him for eternity. The second question that a lot of us ask... What's God's will for my life? Oh no. What's God's will for my life? That's like the biggest question, isn't it? And we ask it so often that we end up hindering ourselves from making any decision whatsoever, don't we? Is that we become so double-minded. Cliff note, James 1. We become so double-minded we can't make a decision. If you understand the simplicity of the will of God in your life, it is freeing. There's two things. Love God with everything you got from your nose to your toes, your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Everything. Love him. Anybody remember the second part? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. It's not whether or not you you buy the blue Honda Accord or the red Honda Accord. Really, it's not. But if you're like me, I have difficulty with that second one, really, which actually reflects on the first one. Because if I really practice the first one from my nose to my toes, loving Pastor Dan Johnson wouldn't be as difficult as it is sometimes. I mean, I'm sorry, Dan. This is a, it's a slip. I do love him, and he knows it. But that's the simplicity. So, in our sanctification, when we, of wrapping all this stuff up is is being in the presence of God. All right. Fulfilling the purpose of God in your life. Answering those two questions. This is how I am responsible. Present myself as a living sacrifice. Present my members as members of righteousness. Spiritual disciplines. Follow God's will in my life. You know what? I need to keep it simple, stupid. I just need to love God and love everybody else. And that's all that there is. The other things, it'll work out. So then, that's only like four verses, isn't it? Man, I thought I was safe with 11 verses tonight. Suspense in the sovereignty of God, this next point. We're going to look at what the actions of the angel are. Look at, look at what he does. First of all, is that he displays the presence of God so we know that he comes from God. Second is that he makes a, an authoritative stance. He stands on the sea and he stands on the land, showing it's all-encompassing the whole earth. All right? Well, then what else does he do? He possesses the scroll. So he possesses a message with him. And then the other hand he lifts up. He cries with a loud, authoritative voice like a lion. And he has a message. The delay is ended. There's not going to be delay any longer. He gives when this is going to happen. He says, when the seventh angel sounds their trumpets. And he adds to the delay is ended to describe what has occurred. Is that the mystery is to be revealed. So if you want to look over, I won't steal too much of Pastor Eric's thunder. No pun intended for this chapter. But verse 15 of chapter 11. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. That is the mystery. As screwed up as this world is, Jesus is king over it all. And that's what has happened. Now The delay is speaking of the delay from the fifth seal. So flip back to chapter 6. And here is the question that the martyrs ask. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Verse 10 of that chapter. How long? And the an- angel's given the answer, the delay is over. So that makes me think, okay, what has just happened with the seals and the, and the six trumpets? What is all that news about? Where we miss some of our definition in, in crossing over to American culture is to really see what these things are. Now remember the scroll. The scroll, you know, is like 20 feet long if it's the book of Revelation, but it's, it's long, it's rolled up. And every page is they put either clay paper clips on right and that's what Jesus is breaking off he's taking that breaking it off and then it's opening and you'll remember the first four the first four seals that are broken it's unscrolled unrolled unscrolled yeah unrolled and the living creatures who are really big bad ain't, not bad but bad in a good way big huge angels you know tell John hey come here and look at this and it's likely he looks at a picture for the first four. Then the fifth seal is broken, and John gazes across, remember the sea of glass, and says, he sees the martyrs, and they cry out with that. And then the sixth seal is broken, and he looks down at the earth, and he's, he sees the earthquakes, the thunderings, the lightnings, islands are moved out of place, mountains topple over, the, the clouds unroll like a scroll, and the people that are on the earth say, hide us from the face of the lamb and the one who sits on the throne. And they cry out for the mountains and the rocks to kill them. First first time they seek suicide instead of relationship with God. And then the seventh is the is the annunciation to the to the trumpets. And then we have the trumpets as well. The seals are breaking and opening and Jesus is the only one that could open them because he is the one that has the title ownership of the earth and everything that's been created. Now, we're talking Bible philosophy of what it teaches. Okay? Something has occurred and this is, this will just be a soundbite for my book that I'm reading in 20 writing in 2050. The cosmic plan of redemption. Even though we are the apple of God's eye in redemption, like in in Romans 8, it says that creation groans for redemption because how sin has affected this earth, right? You remember when Jesus got tempted, right? What was one of the temptations? He takes him up to a high mountain and says, Satan says, Jesus, see all this? I'll give you all of this. He can't give something that he doesn't own. And he says, I'll give you the kingdoms of this earth. Fall down and worship me. So there's a concept that the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, has an an ownership to speak, not complete control, don't don't confuse that, of earthly kingdoms. But it's only with limit to what God decides. Because God still raises up who he raises up for his purpose. So this scroll is saying, I own everything because I've paid for those that believe. I've paid it all. So he's the only one that can open the scroll. Now you get to the trumpets. What were trumpets used for? They were used for signals and warning and battle maneuvers. Because when you read the trumpets, it starts to get a little bit hairy on earth, doesn't it? Grass is dying. People are dying. Rivers and and waters are turning bitter. Seas are turning to blood. You remember all of this? So the, all of that happens, and then we get to the last set after this annunciation that all the kingdoms are, are Jesus's, are Christ's and the Lord's, is the, they're called the what? The bowls of wrath, when we get into them later. And those are what are poured out. So of going through this, and this, uh, this mystery of God, it's showing that there's a difference between the seals and the trumpets to there's not delay anymore God's judgment is here and it's going to happen with the bowls of of wrath that we read about so side note you know one of the distracting things for us that are type A OCD anybody got a good answer for the seven thunders well A we know it's not a hockey team or any other sports team and we have no idea what they said do we Some people say it's what the message, the mystery that we just read in chapter 11, uh, what what was it, verse 15, that that's what it is. But they said it too soon, he's like, nope, wrong time, wrong place. Others, if you ever read Psalm 29, it's called the sevenfold voice of God, and I'm going to summarize it. Uh, One key thing in there, it says the God of glory thunders, and then it says in the different places... The voice of the Lord is over the waters. That's number one. The voice of the Lord is powerful, number two. The voice voice of the Lord is full of majesty, number three. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, number four. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire, number five. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness, number six. And number seven is the voice of the Lord commands birth. That's the closest thing. For some reason, in that psalm, there are seven characteristics of the voice of God. But who knows? And this is where we have to trust the sovereignty of God and not, not get bent out of shape of, why didn't he tell us what the seven thunders are? Oh, no, I can't live the rest of my life because I don't know what the seven thunders say. Hey, love God, love others, you'll be fine. The easiest explanation of God's sovereignty because this is what we're talking about in this section, is the Lord's Prayer. And you'll remember the first two verses to say, or first two parts. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or most holy and revered be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. It's the realization that God is in control of all things. So God's will being accomplished because of who he is. And he is our most holy God. So Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary says this about the sovereignty of God. It's a highfalutin theological term. And I, I added the highfalutin part. That refers to the unlimited power of God who has sovereign control over the affairs of nature and history. So, and here's a, here's a, here's a thing, because this is part of the suspense and sovereignty of God, you know, well, why does God allow this? Or why did God cause this? Okay. And you you will never get to some of those answers. But we are going to get to an answer that you can give to those people when they ask those types of questions about God's sovereignty. So we ask, will this happen? Will that happen? When? What? Why? How? And three aspects of God's sovereignty that we need to recognize is that when God accomplishes his will, he does not violate his character. And there's numerous places to see this in Scripture. God does not, does, does not take joy in the death of anybody. He does not take joy in death. You'll remember 2 Peter 3. They make fun of believers. Oh, you say this is going to happen, but everything's always the same. It's just Groundhog Day from 5,000 years ago. Where's your God at? And it says God's not slack concerning, it, concerning his promise, but he's not willing that any should perish the reason for the delay and god's sovereignty is so maximum numbers are in heaven so this really convicted me this past week because we're like something bad happens in this world like oh lord jesus come aren't we so let me just say this a different way oh lord jesus hurry and come and send the rest of these people that don't believe to hell I guess I'm the only one that feels bad when I think that way. Because we'll even get selfish about eternity, won't we? This life stinks. I want Jesus to come back. I don't care if they suffer for eternity in the lake of fire. Ow. And I know we may not mean it from our heart, but our attitude can express that sometimes. Second thing, God's word is sovereign in our lives. It's all-encompassing, ruling, directing, authoritative. The other thing about God's sovereignty, God's mystery is always revealed in His timing. Okay, anybody remember Harold Camping? Anybody? He's wrong, he's wrong like five times on when the rapture was going to be. You know? The suspense is not knowing the answers, but recognizing that God is sovereign. Now, how do we live this out? How do you live out the sovereignty of God? How do you not know what is going to happen tomorrow? I have my plan. Or something really bad has happened. I'm losing my house. I've lost my job. But God loves me and he doesn't violate violate his character. How am I going to walk that out? Five letters. Starts with F. Yes. Gold star. If I had candy, I'd throw it. Wait, I'm not in youth group. Sorry is faith. Because faith is trusting in the word of God. Faith is trusting God is going to do what he has said he's going to do. God is not going to violate his character. And I have to live my life that way. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The reality of your life walking in faith testifies to whether or not you believe it is true. And we've all, we've all heard this, this story, right? The Niagara Falls wheelbarrow story. Oh boy, does a the trick. They throw a line over Niagara Falls. He gets that wheelbarrow. And he takes the wheelbarrow across and he walks all the way across. Wait, I'm sorry, Dan. I'll stay in the box. And he makes it across, right? Everybody's like, oh, man. I, can believe, I believe he can do it. Okay, get in the wheelbarrow. Uh uh-uh. So walking in faith takes the words from your lip I believe in Jesus I believe in God and puts them puts them right here it puts it right here it puts it right here doesn't it It's more than just saying that I believe is that I believe and I live it out Romans eight twenty two through 25 this talks about the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains until, together until now. Not only that, but we also, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Amen. For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Walking by faith is trusting in the sovereignty of God in our lives, but it's also responding in obedience. The suspense of this sovereignty is you won't get all the answers, but you keep walking in faith because of who God is. This next part, the suspense in sickness, That might sound funny, and we're not talking about suffering because what he does is he gives, he's, he says, Take the scroll from the angel. And it's likely God says, Take the scroll from the angel. And he says, Hey, yo, angel, Billy Bob, give me the scroll. The scroll, the angel says, Hey, you're going to eat that, and it's going to be sweet, but it's going to turn your stomach. What and why does it turn his stomach? Why does it turn his stomach? We're not talking about suffering. They'll recall, some of you will recall as well, Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 3, same thing. Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll. Go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with the scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. But then it was bitter to his stomach. So Ezekiel and John's experience are similar, but they're not the same. Ezekiel was supposed to take a message to the house of Israel, John is to tribes, nations, peoples, kings. So, what is the suspense in sickness? All of us love to say God is love. The part that turns our stomach is when we have to look somebody in the eye and say, The reality is, if you don't repent, this is where you're going. You're going to hell. The reality of the sickness is John the Baptist telling Pharisees, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The reality of the sickness that turns our stomach is God will judge you one day. And that's the hard part, isn't it? The word is identified with, with great things. It's identified with honey. It's identified with bread. I personally like the meat part because I think of a steak. You know, it, it's identified as milk. But the part that turns both John's stomach and Ezekiel's stomachs and the part that should turn our stomach from these last two weeks particularly is when you look at an unbeliever or share with an unbeliever to realize what they're going to go through. And it feels like somebody punches you in the stomach. When you meditate on hell, when you meditate on the lake of fire, not for spiritual edification, but to, to get your backside in gear to share the gospel. Eternity. Can you imagine eternity of, of gnashing of teeth, eternity of suffering... Eternity of flame, not being able to die. And it's not to blame you because you didn't, because that's where we trust God's sovereignty. But our responsibility in this suspense is to still take that step despite our sickness and to tell them the reality of what's at hand. And it's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. But don't back off from that. You know, when you think about stories about this, have you ever had to fire somebody that you liked? That's hard. You're giving a judgment that's changing their life. One of the worst jobs I had in the military was called the casualty assistance officer. And we gave notifications, and it wasn't the notification that they won the lottery the field officer of the day for post would come with you and you would go to somebody's house and you would have to tell them that their husband, their their wife, their kid, whatever it might be, had died. And that is the sickest I have felt. And thinking about the suspense in this last part the suspense is, is I still have a responsibility even though I don't want to. It's just not the responsibility of saying Jesus loves you and died for your sin. It's, it's, the, it's the John 3, 17 and 18. Do you remember that part? Nobody memorizes those, do they? For if you don't believe, you're condemned already. It goes on to say in 19, they loved darkness more than light of telling them what happens. And I I bring up this point because John and Ezekiel were having to tell tribes and nations and peoples and kings, you're getting wiped out. Ezekiel, you're gonna telling the house of Israel, you're being put in bondage and slavery and judgment. Now we sort of know why some of the prophets got killed a lot, don't we? When you start to warn people about judgment... I don't want to hear it, don't tell me. And just so we're clear, I'm talking about judgment for eternity, not whether or not you drive a Ford or Chevy. Serious, serious stuff. The last one, man, I got 14 minutes to get less than my record. Suspense and sewing. Because this is the, the commission that the angel or that the angel gives. It says, take eat this, but go to these people. And so he has no idea what the result is going to be. He's just tasked with going. And so even with us is that we're responsible to go. But there's one parable that Jesus taught that really illustrates this. Parable of the sower. You remember it? Okay, you have to imagine a bag of seed, you know, and and, he's, and the sower is casting the seed, right? And we always remember that it goes on four places, right? It goes on the wayside or the path or the sidewalk for today. There's not going to, you know, weeds grow in the crack of the sidewalks. So you're not going to sow wheat to, to bake bread. And then it goes on the stony ground. You remember that? Okay, grows up quick. Sun comes out, it dies. And then he throws it, and it's an area that hasn't been tended, and it's got weeds all over. And so the weeds win, right? this life win. And then the prepared ground, right? And it grows 20, 40, 60, 100 fold. Everybody remember that story. But here's the point I want to make about the suspense of sowing. Does it say the sower only went to the fertilized, tilled up ground? It doesn't, does it? Now remind you, this is a story that Jesus gave. The sower throws the seed is what he says. And when he describes this, the seed is what? It's the good news of the kingdom, it's the gospel. The sower, when he's sowing the seed, is not worried about targeting just the tilled up ground. He's worried about throwing the seed. Oh, I can't talk to that individual. Oh no, that's not, I can't talk to that person. You know, I'm only gonna share the gospel with people that have cool beards that's it. That's a group I can identify with and go to the gym at five in the morning. No, it doesn't. It doesn't say that. It says that he sowed the seed wherever. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, make disciples while you're going. Baptizing, teaching. Acts 1, 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. and You shall be witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the earth. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 through 6. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. Amen? But our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The suspense of sowing the word is not knowing where to sow. Is we let two things stop us. The first one is, is... Well, I don't know the condition of their heart. You're not to worry about the condition of their heart. You're to sow the seed. That's it. You're not to see, well, are they stony heart? Are they got cares of this life that are choking them out? You know, they're just like, they got Satan in their life, and he's taking the seed like a bird. You're not to worry about any of that. You're supposed to just throw the seed, share the gospel. The other one is not knowing the response of the individual. Well, did it make an impact? Well, you know what? Nobody has said yes in five years, so I'm not going to share the gospel anymore. I quit. No, you're not to worry about that. It's a question that you're not going to necessarily know the answer immediately. Here's another one. Wondering if it's the best time. Well, I know it's just me and him having coffee right now, and I know he's not a believer uh, my coffee's getting a little cold, I need to refill. It's not the right time. It's another another thing that we think that we can determine. That suspense of is it the right time? Isn't it? Share the word. We're not to worry about the results, but just to sow. Paul or Peter talked about this. I mean, sorry, Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God. Gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. This going back to the parable of the soils, God is the one that made the seed grow. Okay? Not the sower. He was throwing the seed. Just to talk about how significant this is, I'm reading a book. Uh, it's Pastor Hsi Hsi which was one of the first Christians in the 1860s in China that had a massive opium recovery uh, network that was also gospel-based, okay? The Cambridge Seven, which were popular uh, sports and political figures from England, ended up being missionaries to China, and they came there with Hudson Taylor and and saw this. This is a, a, a biography on him. And one of the stories they're telling about the converts is a Buddhist monk. And somehow... There was a translated part uh, of Mark, the book of Mark, that was in a Buddhist monastery. How weird is that, right? And so he has this, and he has it for three years, and he reads over this, and he reads the book of Mark, and he reads about Jesus, and he says, I don't understand it, I don't have anybody to tell me, but he continues to read. Well, somebody, one of the Buddhist monks goes to a place, and they find somebody that is selling the entire New Testament, in the language. So he knows, you know, hey, brother monk is reading this and he wanted me to look for it. So he gets it and he does that. So it's a total of 5 years from when he started reading the book of Mark till he finally says, I'm going to go see this guy. Do you understand it took 5 years before he believed in Jesus Christ in that? And some of you have stories that are a lot longer with people that you know. So we're not supposed to worry about the timing. The condition, we're not going to worry about whether or not they say yes or no. We hope they say yes, but we're going to sow the seed. So as we close, you know, we've read about an angel, his description, his exclamation, interaction with John. But we've looked at something deeper, the suspense in our life that is seen through this. The suspense of sanctification. I don't see anybody... Jumping up and down and say, oh, yeah, smack me down, Lord, so I can be more like Jesus. We don't like the pain, do we? But we should be saying, oh, Lord, change me. The suspense of sovereignty. Oh, Lord, I trust you. Job 13, 15 was a verse I had to embrace while I was in the hospital, and it's tough. It says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in Him. Do you understand that? Though I may die, yet I'm going to trust in God. The suspense of sickness, O Lord, save one more. The suspense of sowing, O Lord, give me boldness to share the gospel. So the question is, are you embracing the suspense in obedience, which means walking by faith? So Just, just imagine if we all walked by faith. So the question that you have is, are you, are you going to let suspense, the unanswered questions, the what-if questions, are you going to let them bind you in fear? Or are you going to let them propel you in faith? Will we gaze upon God's holiness and be changed? Will we grasp God's goodness in any situation? Will we embrace the sick of God's judgment by sharing the gospel with boldness? Let's stand. And as they're preparing for communion, the things I, I really want you to think about is even the suspense that is at the table is that we have a cracker and we have a, a, a cup of juice, and it is tastes all right, going down. And we're to reflect on that. But sometimes what we don't reflect on is the cost because believers reflect on the cost as you as you look at that, that piece of cracker of what it represents the suffering the beating that Christ went through in your stead the cup the crucifixion the blood that had to be shed for the sweetness of eternity for those of you that might be attending and you do not believe I hope you understand what I said if if You don't believe that Jesus died and paid for all of your sin. That he's Lord of all. And you want to do your own thing? Go back and read chapter 9. Because that's what you're choosing. You're choosing darkness instead of light. You're choosing today instead of eternity. And is it worth it? Is it really worth it? Let's pray. Father, I just pray the truth of your gospel would continue to speak to the hearts and minds of all that are there. For those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, even as we take communion, may you forgive us of our selfishness of wanting to escape today for comfort. May you forgive us for not sharing the gospel when we could. May you forgive us for, for leading a life of selfishness, disregarding you except on Wednesday or Sunday may we just come to you in forgiveness and just ask that you'd reveal those things that you need to trim from our character, from our life, that we would ask in forgiveness with repentance, but yet remember the freedom of forgiveness and the overwhelming joy of your love and salvation. For those that are not here, that not believers, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would still convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, not because you're a God who hates But you're a pure, holy God. And sin doesn't exist in your presence. But the fact is that Jesus has paid for it all. And simply by believing, by having faith, and living a new life towards you, is that possible? So just ask that you continue to work as we close. In Jesus' name.